Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a quick reminder before you listen to this installment of the free podcast novel that the second season is just about to get started and you can contribute right now if you go to kickstarter.com slash projects slash ruins of empire. There you can contribute as little as a dollar to keep this podcast up and running. You can even reserve a signed copy of Saturnius Mons and Templum Venerus. So go to kickstarter.com, look up Ruins of Empire, and make your mark on literary history. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The Story So Far Having survived the Mammoth Stampede more or less in one piece, the Human Reconnection Project continued their search for the city. But when the crawler slid down a steep embankment, it became clear that the best course of action might be to build a camp and rest. But while Althea was finishing her medical examinations, Vago fell into a dissociative state caused by a withdrawal from Triple T. When he came to his senses, he noticed a horrible stench. He went to investigate and found the smoldering remains of a massacre. Chapter 7 Ultimately, the secrets of the fall may forever lie with the dead. But, if we listen close we can still hear their voices echoing through the centuries. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff It was a massacre. It was genocide in its cruelest, most horrific form. A few randomly scattered bodies like the ones at Vago's feet were just the start the real horror was clustered around the largest plume of smoke in between the crescent-shaped building and the tree line. Hundreds of bodies smoldered there in a pile of charred flesh and bone. There was a Spartan simplicity about these people that somehow made their slaughter worse. Those with clothing intact wore long lengths of fur in the form of cloaks or dresses belted around their narrow frames. The men looked as if they let their hair and beards grow their entire lives, without so much as a comb to pull through it. The women, by contrast, hacked their tangled, matted hair off at the shoulder. The only marks of vanity or luxury were the bowl-shaped fur hats and leather straps or belts. Their entire culture, as seen from their remains, was one of harsh utility, a means of survival against the elements. When the group was only a couple hundred meters away from the pile of bodies, Kronos fell to his knees, moved his breather to the side, and gagged. I feel. I've never. I've seen the words and heard the voices of human cruelty, but I've never seen so much of it so clearly. Althea knelt down, helped him take his mask off, and held it over his nose. Deep breath, Kronos. It's okay. Be sick if you need to. Isra, on the other hand, was strangely compelled towards the wretched horrors. She approached the edge, walking carefully, as if not to step in anything or anyone, she knelt down. Vago, take a look at this. Vago knelt down beside her. It was a woman, or at least the half-burned skeleton seemed vaguely shaped like a woman. 
Her hands clutched what looked to be the remains of a shallow, woven basket. She held it up to her face, as if trying to use it to shield herself from the terrible forces that did this. I think she was carrying a basket of fruit, said Isra, noting some of the native food scattered around the area where the woman fell. Near the woman, Fago saw a man carrying a makeshift wooden torch burnt down to the stick. There were similar torches scattered among the bodies, including more food, musical instruments, and wooden figurines carved in rough animal shapes. Vago stood back. Looks like one hell of a party. Isra closed her eyes and clenched her teeth. Yes. But what happened? Who, what, could do this? Vago tilted his hat back. I would venture there was some kind of gathering here and someone went and played crowd control with a flamethrower. Whoever did it didn't leave much of a trace, though. It's all just fire and death. Isra tensed. Are we safe here? The Martian surveyed the area. Nothing moving anymore. Looks to be whatever done the kill and finished the deed and left. Ain't nothing out there but a stack of corpses. But they couldn't have gotten far. That pile's still smoking. Althea helped Cronus to his feet. Cronus's tissue paper-like skin was even more pale than before, and his breath came in short, erratic bursts. But he could stand and walk for now. Isra watched the sprawling building looming less than a hundred meters away. I don't like this. Can't say I'm getting about the prospect myself, said Vago. Still feel like making for that building there? Isra said nothing, and just gave him a single, solemn nod. Vago unholstered both his guns and headed one to Isra. I'll take point. Isra, watch our path back to the camp. We get ourselves surrounded, we're cooked. Literally. Althea, Kronos, stay close. If I say run, you haul it as fast as you can for cover. Understand? He started to lead the way toward the white building and felt a wave of dizziness run over him. He stumbled forward and, for a moment, had that far away, uneasy feeling that he would get when the haze took hold. At least, it was probably only a moment. Could have been an hour as far as Vega was concerned. Althea touched his arm. Vega. Are you okay? He looked at Althea, and then at Kronos, who was staying close to her side. The idea that he might fail them both sent waves of terror running through his mind, which turned into shame, which morphed into anger. He tried to will his mind back, make it sharper through sheer stubbornness. He snapped, I'm fine. I just, I think the smell's getting to me. Let's go. The space in between the worst of the massacre and the white building was empty. That meant that the culprits came from this direction and drove the people toward the forest. The grip on his pistol tightened as he scanned the dirty windows for any sign of life, but nothing moved. Vago flashed on something the preacher used to recite back home on the Mariadani colony on Mars. He always said it when it came time to bury someone. He could almost hear the holy man's voice in his head. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me something, something. Did you say something, said Althea. She was still walking beside him with a look of concern that irritated every nerve that wasn't numbed by withdrawals. Nothing, said Vago, just divine protection. There is no divinity here, said Cronus, watching the sky as he walked. No protection, no safety, no limits, only people, animals. 
free to do as they will with no chance of retribution. Vago tightened his grip on his gun. Kronos, this place is creepy enough as it is. Don't go losing your head and making it worse. He quickened his steps and left Althea a few paces behind him. It didn't matter. Whether he was standing over the body of a fallen comrade on Mars or trudging through the burnt-out remains of this hell, there was no Earth god that gave a gout bias about what happened on other planets. Vago stopped walking and shook his head to try and clear it. His mind was wandering. The haze was setting faster and harder than it ever had in the past. Whatever Althea had given him was causing him to crash hard. Althea caught up and put her hand on his arm again. Vago, are you sure you're all right? Kronos, tailing at Vago's heel, was still fixated on the sky when he murmured, They came from above. They had to. We will never escape them here. Vago brushed Althea's hand away. How about instead of worrying about me, you calm that kid the kayak down? Can't focus with him yammering on like that. Vago quickened his pace, but Althea and Kronos kept right beside him. Kronos is acting exactly as one should given the circumstances. It's you I'm worried about. Some motion, some smell back toward the trees caught Vago's attention. Taking up the rear of the formation, Isra raised her gun. What is it, Vago? What do you see? Vago sniffed. He must be imagining things. There was no way he could smell anything over the metallic charcoal scent of burning flesh. The haze was getting to him. He turned back around. Nothing. Come on. Best we keep moving. A few minutes later, the crescent building loomed large in front of them. It wasn't as white as it appeared from a distance. The paint was tarnished, dirty, and it had flaked off in several places, revealing a dull, gray metal. The windows that stood, from the floor to the ceiling, were so filthy as to be nearly opaque. Isra and Vega rushed toward a sliding metal door. She stood off to the side, holding one of his handguns at ready, while he put his ear to it for a moment and, hearing nothing, tried to open it. Novak Jigd. Locked. Althea, looks like it's your show. Althea flashed Vago a look of mild contempt, but walked up to the door anyway. She tried pulling on the handle as well, and knelt down to examine a keypad next to the door. The lock and door are both electric. It might not even be secured. It just doesn't have any power. Kronos, do you have a screwdriver? Kronos lurched forward, still looking sickly. I think so. As he dropped his backpack to root through it, Althea added, And a battery. A strong one for preference. But any spare battery will do. Kronos cocked his head at the request, but continued looking. He produced both items from the recesses of his bag and handed them to Althea. In one quick motion... She jammed the screwdriver into a space just behind the keypad and levered it out of its socket. It fell and hung suspended by several wires. Althea ran her fingers down the individual metal strands, muttering something to herself before she pulled two away from the keypad. She held up red and white wires and the battery and looked at Vago. When I say go, you pull on that handle as hard as you can. Vago grabbed the door and got ready to throw all his weight behind him. Althea waited a moment, shouted, No! and touched the wires to the battery contacts. There was a flash and a crack of electricity, and Vago pulled as hard as he could. It barely moved at first, but after a moment, it opened so fast that he nearly fell backwards. Althea stood and handed the battery and the screwdriver back to Kronos. 
He took them and pulled the breather away for a moment. Why does a medical doctor know how to spark boot a lock? It is a subject not routinely covered in medical schools. Althea looked away, embarrassed. I wasn't always a doctor, and we shall leave it at that. Fago checked his gun. Don't go being modest, Althea. Why don't you tell the man about... Vago's voice trailed off under Althea's withering glare. Although Kronos had a wide-eyed look of curiosity plastered all over, self-preservation dictated a swift change of subject. Never mind. Keep your eyes moving in your head, everyone. Every dark corner, every doorway. Vago entered first with his gun raised, but everything inside was still quiet. Standing at the doorway, Vago felt as if he were about to step a thousand years back in time. He stared down a carpeted hallway with a dizzying red and blue diamond design that curved around until it disappeared in the distance. This was punctuated on the right by wooden kiosks, rows of uncomfortable chairs, banks of monitors, and all the other trappings of what was once a bustling transport hub. Somewhere in Vago's mind, he could almost hear the dull roar and bustle of the hundreds of travelers from a millennia ago. He could feel his spine tense, as if he just walked over the graves of every single one of them. Isra tucked his other gun into her waistband and walked in behind him. She cupped her hands to her mouth and yelled, Hello! Nin hao! The Vrusta! Ola! She tried several other variants, pausing briefly between each one, but nobody answered back. Kronos and Althea followed them into the ancient spaceport, and then started down the hallway together. It was all remarkably well-preserved. The windows were cracked and so dirty as to be opaque. The carpet was faded, and the fake wood peeled off the kiosks, but it all looked as if it had been abandoned for years, not centuries. Vago had seen ruins, both on Earth and beyond, and they were nothing like this. They always felt like a vague representation of what it used to be, there, he had to close his eyes and imagine what the walls would have looked like still standing, or what the paint might have been on the walls, what the joint might have looked like when it still had a roof. But this place was pristine, quiet, and empty, as if the gods themselves lifted it from its own time and dropped it here. The faint roar of turbines and a breath of air through the vents told Vago that this place still had some small auxiliary power source, solar or geothermal energy most likely, the air purifiers were still working and scrubbed the thick chemical smog of Titan until it smelled bad in the same way pure distilled water tasted bad. As they walked, Isra continued to shout greetings in every language she knew. Vega wanted to tell her to shut up. There was obviously something on this planet and, judging from the killing field outside, they weren't much for visitors. Instead, Bego strained his senses through the haze to pick up the soft patter of feet on carpet or the salty musk of sweat, anything to try and detect another soul here before it was too late. But there was nothing but that too clean air and silence. They all paused near one of the wooden kiosks. It was identical to the others, fake wood, with two monitors built into a desk on one side and a Golden Company logo on the other where travelers would line up. The logo was three initials, T-P-E, partially enclosed in a circle with a tiny rocket leaving a trail through the letters. Most of the gold had flaked off or was covered in grime, 
but where it wasn't, it gleamed in the dim light. Kronos looked at the logo and cocked his head. TPE, Transplanetary Energy Corporation, a smaller piece of the whole, a large chunk of what used to be the corporation. They were a powerful influence on Earth and around Sol before the fall. Isra ran her fingers across the face of two monitors on the other side of the kiosk. Kronos, can you do anything with these computers? Kronos crossed around back, knelt down, and opened a set of doors near the bottom of the kiosk. There was an impossible tangled mess, but Kronos looked at it all for a moment as if reading a perfect set of instructions. He removed his breath mask. Possible! Connections are miraculously intact, fiber to microfilament to quantum state servers. There is power, but not enough. I will need time. Kronos pulled his pack full of equipment off his back and dove into the wires like it was the only home he had ever known. Vego, Isra, take a look at this, said Althea, several meters away. She had wandered farther down the hallway and looked in awe at an indent in the wall near a flight of stairs. Vego and Isra left Kronos to his work and went to see what Althea was going on about. Someone had painted in very neat black lettering. Nefaris Tion Porni. Nefaris por la urbo. Nefaris por la compañía. Vego cocked his head. Language you recognize, Isra? Isra leaned forward and squinted at the words. No, well, yes, it is strange. I see some structure and vocabulary similar to several earth languages, but it is different somehow. A completely new language, said Althea. Possibly, but there is something familiar about it. Vago stepped close to the words, sniffed, and touched one of the letters. The paint left a black smear on his finger. The sight sent a surge of fear through his gut. It's fresh, he whispered. Few hours old, if that. Something drew his attention, and his gaze snapped up the stairs. It was nothing he could sense, as much as something instinctual. He took a step back. Every survival instinct in his body wanted to bolt for the door. Both of his hands wrapped around the grip of the gun. They were shaking. Isra, without a trace of fear or anxiety, pulled the gun from her waistband and shouted a few more greetings up the stairs, but, again, nobody answered. She walked up with Althea close at her heel. Vago, pushing aside everything he felt, followed. The stairs went to some kind of lounge area with larger, more comfortable chairs and sofas littered around. One side was entirely made up of glass as dirty as it was downstairs. Isra and Althea both paused at the top to take in the scene. The carpet was replaced with a wood floor that still showed hints of gloss. Vago found himself compelled toward a door in the glass wall. He walked up, tried the knob, and it opened to the outside. He walked out onto the roof of the spaceport and stopped near the edge. From here, he could see the paved area in its entirety all the way to the edges where the Titanian forests reclaimed it inch by inch. Isra and Althea joined him to look out over the landscape. Althea wrapped her arms around herself. There's nothing moving out there, is there? Isra sighed. Not a thing. I do not understand it. It looked like they all just gathered in a circle, said Althea mournfully. Just stood around and let themselves be killed. Isra gestured in the direction of the forest where a few bodies fell. A few tried to run. 
But you are right. Most just stayed. Why would they just stand there while... Isra's voice faded away like smoke in the wind. The sky turned dark, and the whole world with it, until the only light came from the ring planet hovering about 45 degrees above the eastern horizon. The circle was alive now. Dark figures and light danced in a circle around a glowing pile in the center. Then, Vega was in the middle of it all. Everywhere he looked, there were figures, like ghosts, visible but not tangible. They carried torches and baskets of food while they lifted their heads to the skies and sang. And then there was awful pain screaming everywhere. Vego found himself surrounded by fire, and the figures, light and wispy before, turned black. Vego screamed and jumped backward to avoid being consumed by the flames. One of the dark figures turned toward him. Vego? He raised his gun, and one of the figures yelled in Isra's voice, Jesus, Vego, put that away. What is the matter with you? The flames closed in, and so did the dark figures. He waved his gun at all of them and growled, Stay away from me, you hear? Just back away! Another figure in Althea's voice said, Oh no, he's having another episode. Vago, calm down. Listen to my voice. You are fine. Everything is fine. Still, the flames got closer. Vago kept backing up until he tripped over something and fell. His head slammed against the concrete roof of the building. The darkness went away and was replaced by the light orange clouds of Titan. Isro rushed over to him. Althea, grab his gun. He realized that he dropped it when he fell. Althea scooped it up and held it close to her chest. Isra helped Vago into a sitting position. Vago, what happened? Vago realized he was panting and soaked with sweat. His voice cracked and quaked with fear. The food, the figurines, the tools, all offerings, and the torches and the circle. It was a ritual, and then... Bearcat Nelbeg Agabulno, they were killed. Althea took a step backwards. Her face was white with fear. Even Isra leaned away from Vigo. There was a twitch near her eye that betrayed her carefully neutral expression. You don't see it, do you? said Vigo. We gotta get out of here. Get back to the shuttles and hit sky. We can't be here. Althea swallowed hard. Vigo, you're scaring me. You damn well should be scared. Can't you see what's right in front of your face? We stumbled into a damned holy war. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. 